0: Today on Agnews Daily, the the way biologicals are defined is that those are products of natural origin that have not been modified. So if you look, you can find them in nature and really utilizing their their benefits. And those benefits can be
1: broad ranging. Good morning, listeners. Tuesday, December 20th. This is Tanner Wintroff joined by Delaney Howe on our Tech Tuesday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast brought to you by Mystic Lubricants. For a look at their full line of great products, visit mysticlubes.com. M-Y-S-T-I-K lubes.com. Delaney, I can't wait to hear what kind of Christmas trivia you've got for us today.
2: Oh, I'm so glad that you asked, Tanner. I've got it ready for you. So today I my knew you would. Of course. Today my fact is Christmas tree related, which is very fitting of course, says that is also a staple of Christmas time. In 2019 the US harvested how many Christmas trees? Tanner, do you think?
1: Well, I was way under on the fact yesterday, so I'm going to say 2 million. How many? 2 million.
2: Oh, well, you're still under. In 2019 the US harvested 11.7 million Christmas trees.
1: Wow. That's a lot bigger of a number. And here I was shooting high.
2: Mm-hmm. I know. Do you get a real Christmas tree or do you guys have a fake Christmas tree?
1: Nope, we do. We do the whole go out there and cut it down and bring it back into the house. And then after Christmas, we feed it to the goats. So nice. It's, uh, it's, a, okay. it's a long-standing tradition here.
2: So, you're like the regular old Clark Griswold getting your Christmas tree, huh?
1: (laughs) Yeah, how about you? Is it real?
2: Ours is fake. I've never, ever really had a real tree. We had one a couple years growing up, but for the most part, I've always had a fake tree, which I'm okay with. Someday, maybe I'll get a real tree. But, Tanner, I'm curious what kind of tree typically do you get when you go buy one? Do you know?
1: Uh, I did know. I tried to commit that to memory this year, but I want to say. It is uh, Douglas fir, Okay, if I'm remembering correctly.
2: That's probably correct, because the top three tree species that are most common for those Christmas trees are the Fraser fir, which is the most popular, followed by the Douglas fir and the Noble fir. Couldn't tell you what the difference was between any of those three, but those are the three most popular that you often see at Christmas tree farms.
1: Right. No, well, that makes a lot of sense, Delaney. And... This year, I would say if you've got any fir trees in your yard, they're going to be covered in snow, at least if you're in the northern and central plains. As we get closer to Christmas, we are going to continue to talk about this winter storm stretch that is covering northern Minnesota, Wisconsin, all the way down into central Missouri. Delaney, that could cause snowfall accumulations of two to seven inches, of course, as we look in the states between there, eastern Iowa through northern Illinois, those blizzard conditions are expected to start tomorrow morning. And then we will see winds that push in excess of 55 miles per hour. But that's not the end of the story, right, Delaney? It's going to continue to push eastward, eastern towards the ocean and drop a bunch of snow there. It'll be interesting to see if we get any lake effect out of this as it pushes across the Great Lakes. But then we're followed by rigid temperatures that you've been warning our listeners about for over a week. We could see some of those in the northern portion of the United States reaching minus 50 to minus 60 degrees. So not new news, Delaney, but wanted to give an update that nothing has changed since yesterday.
2: Well, one thing actually has changed just slightly, Tanner, and that is the focus on nat gas prices. Josh Linville sent out an update yesterday late afternoon, Suggesting he was going to be watching Nat Gas prices really closely this week because he said that in February of 2021, we had an Arctic blast very similar to this one, which really caused Nat Gas values to skyrocket over several short days. He said this year's Arctic Or polar vortex that's coming right now is not going to be quite as long or as bad as what we saw in February of 2021. But regardless, he said the cold usually causes these gas values to skyrocket, which also in 2021 caused nitrogen production facilities to shut down in favor of selling those contracts they had for Nat gas back to the open market and make a little additional money. So he said he's not calling yet for that repeat of the event, but it's certainly something to watch about or watch this year, and um, is going to be something that could be a little bit of a black swan if it did come to fruition for the nat gas, and more specifically, fertilizer market, if we saw nitrogen facilities hopping out in to make a little profit during that.
1: Yeah, that's that's interesting. And I swear that it was not that long ago, February of 2021 for that polar vortex or the Arctic mm-hmm. temperatures that we had because I remember that distinctly and it was very cold. So uh, surprising how fast time moves. But I tell you what, we do have a little bit of a stall here coming from Chief Justice Roberts. He briefly halted the decision banning the border expulsions that I reported on yesterday. So coming yesterday afternoon, he temporarily put in place a maintenance for the Trump era public health emergency measure that allows the government to expel migrants seeking asylum who cross our southern border border unlawfully. So Chief Justice John G. Roberts, Jr. issued a stay. That is an administrative stay that is provisional and meant to give the Supreme Court some more time to consider whether or not they will maintain the program Title 42, which trial judges had ordered to be ended by Wednesday. At that time, it was three district court Appeals judges that had rejected the state's request for a stay last week said they had waited too long to intervene into the case and the case that was brought up by migrant families seeking to end the expulsions under the health measure. Since that measure was put in place, Delaney, it has been used in more than 2.3 million expulsions since invoked in 2020. And of course, that was as part of the coronavirus pandemic package. However, a lot of the border states are stating that right now they look at a substantial amount of law enforcement, education, and health care cost increases if that stay is to be lifted. So the judge Roberts called for a response from the Supreme Court. To help the states with their emergency application and plan by the end of today at 5 p.m. So that's suggesting that the court may issue a swift ruling on this. But as of, excuse me, as of right now, this will continue to be in place and that December 21st deadline is no longer in effect.
2: Well, Tanner, we've got some news here out of Hungary that they've also reported their first case of H5N1 bird flu at a turkey farm. They said that the bird flu was at a turkey farm specifically according to the National Food Chain Safety Office on Tuesday. And authorities said they have begun to slaughter more than 25,000 turkeys on the farm where this virus was detected, which was in the county of, not going to pronounce it correctly, but here we go, Haju Bihar, Tanner.
1: I wouldn't even have tried.
2: <laughs> I did my best.
1: That's interesting that. It says they're slaughtering. So they're not euthanizing. They're still.
2: Yeah. Interesting that they use that terminology, isn't it?
1: It is. But here, before we get into my next story, let's take a pause here for a message from our sponsor today.
3: Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's lubes.com.
1: Well, Delaney, I've thrown quite a bit of machinery information as far as sales goes throughout the last couple of weeks as we report here getting closer to the end of the year. But it seems like uh, our listeners and farmers across the country are continuing to see shortages of new equipment and struggling to get parts for existing equipment. So since COVID-19 emerged in Asia three years ago, it's been difficult for our farmers to get their hands on all of those pieces I just described. Nothing in the last three years has been straightforward and simple. The supply chain issues that began during the pandemic have yet to work themselves out. Kinsey Manufacturing stated, last year it seemed like we went from a short one shortage of parts to the next shortage. And you never knew which part you wouldn't be able to get your hands on. But they said in their interview that it looks like for 2023, generally supply will be more steady than it used to be. But it will not return to pre-pandemic levels during 2023. Said the difference that they're projecting between 23 and the summer of 22 is that manufacturers are building in their lead times on parts. It's still going to take substantially longer than it used to to get new equipment, but part shortages are continuing to affect manufacturers in a different method and different angle every quarter. Of course, we know that the computer chips has been the biggest issue. They stated here that that's not a problem that will fix itself in weeks or months maybe not even in a year but potentially years as plural and that's not good news for our listeners the entire 22 production for many major pieces of equipment were sold out by january 1 22 it'll be interesting to see here as we get reports on when new equipment orders are being placed and how long it takes for those orders to be filled but i don't see that changing in 2023 so it'll be interesting to see here as demand remains strong, like we reported last week for tractors and combines. But hopefully we can start to get this supply chain turned right back around and some of these frustrations fixed, Delaney.
2: Well, one thing that seems to have been fixed, at least for Ukrainian farmers, and a quick update here to a story I reported on last week, was the Ukrainian government has officially authorized the Agricultural Ministry to identify critical grain facilities, and agricultural facilities that should be prioritized for receiving energy supplies. If you remember back to last week, there were a couple of what I'm going to call commodity organizations that were prompting Ukraine and the government to specifically focus on prioritizing them for energy supplies. Well, the government has followed through on that request, Tanner, and it has certainly helped Ukrainian grain shipments get out of the country. Grain shipments from Ukraine's Danube Ports hit record high in 2022 and much higher than what folks were originally thinking that they would see during the year of 2022, given the Russian-Ukraine war. But transshipments hit uh, 42 times higher than what they saw to an all-time high of 6.1 million tons of grain exported so far out of that seaport, Tanner. So some good news there for Ukraine as they are continuing to try to get grain out of the country. This is not, of course, in the Black Sea region where things are still uh pretty delayed and pretty blocked, but they are trying to find ports elsewhere to get grain out of the country.
1: Yeah, I keep reflecting on the conversation that I got to have and be a part of with Peter Zion. Uh, last week and he mainly talked about the ports issue being without having access to western insurance um, makes it a lot difficult for those outside of the western allies to get grain out of the port which obviously we know in a global economy takes all players to push that forward but the last story i have today is back on equipment and machinery focus CNH Industrial revealed their New Holland T4 electric-powered tractor, an all-electric light-duty tractor with autonomous features. This prototype obviously came with development collaboration with Monarch Tractor that we reported on in the spring. That is a strategic partner now with CNH Industrial. This prototype is branded for New Holland, but is going to also have Case IH-branded machines as well. It's an ideal solution according to their spokesperson for low horsepower operations. They are looking at farm, livestock, municipality, orchard, and specialty applications as their target audience. This T4 electric power joins their lineup of alternative powered tractors, which includes methane and, uh, methane and methane powered LNG tractors. It is a four wheel drive tractor front wheel assist with a max speed of almost 25 miles per hour could have up to 120 horsepower, and the tractor itself will be compatible with all traditional mechanical, hydraulic, and PTO implements. The tractor is designed for a full-day use and will have the ability to charge to 100% in fast-charging systems. Plus, a bonus is it has electrical outlets, so you can use hand tools like welders, drills, and anything else where this tractor could power up as a backup generator for you so quite interesting here of course they also are uh very proud of their new transmission that has smoother shuttling and gear shifting but quite an interesting technology here is we're looking at an advancement in low horsepower reliable all day running electric tractors any
2: certainly be interesting to see kind of the adoption on this process Tanner
1: Absolutely. That's all I've got today. Do we need to take a break for our sponsor or do we have more news to get through?
2: Well, I have one more quick hit here to get through and then let's take a quick break from our sponsor, Tanner. But we saw a case of Asian soybean rust reported in the Paraná state in Brazil, which is a very destructive fungal disease, as I'm sure many of our listeners know, which afflicts soybeans specifically and could be a pretty dire outbreak here for Brazil if this thing is not contained. The first case of soybean rust was found in a commercial soybean field and was confirmed a little over two weeks ago in the state of Paraná. Uh, the state also has installed more than 200 spore collecting devices that are strategically located throughout the state to monitor the presence specifically of rust spores. And the system so far has identified potentially 17 different locations in Western Parana that have the Asian soybean rust Tanner, So not something a lot of media has picked up on yet. It I don't think has gotten to a point of destruction yet, but could certainly impact yields if it is uh, continued.
1: Yeah, that wasn't a good piece of news to end on. Hopefully that stays localized there, and doesn't spread. Absolutely,
2: Tanner. But I tell you what, we better get into markets for today. But before we do that, let's take a quick break from today's sponsor.
3: Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at MysticLoops.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K-Loops.com. Well, Tina, as we look at the overnight markets today,
2: finally a little bit of green on the screen. March Corn. Up a penny and three quarters today to open at six forty-nine. New crop corn closed uh just three quarters of a cent lower in the overnight will open this morning at five ninety-four. So pretty big spread difference there between old crop and new crop soybeans up seven cents in the overnight will open at 1470 new crop soybeans will open at 1384 again a big spread difference there between old crop and new crop and as we look at hard red winter wheat up six and a quarter cent in the overnight will open at 849 livestock yesterday of course finished mixed on the board and will open at a buck fifty six oh five in february live cattle $1.82.10 $1.82.10 in January feeders, and February lean hogs will open this morning at 85 dollars Tanner, without further ado, let's kick it over to our Tech Tuesday conversation with Corteva. Listeners, we're
4: here with Frederick Budeau from of course, Heva. He's the global portfolio leader for biologicals there. We know that Corteva has announced a lot of new things lately, and Frederick, we thank you for joining us. Uh,
0: thanks. It's my pleasure, and thanks for the opportunity to uh, chat with you and uh, and your listeners.
4: Absolutely. To get us started here, can you kind of just let us know what your title means at Corteva and what exactly you do there?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So as the Global portfolio leader for biologicals. I'm in charge of the strategy. I'm in charge of the uh, investment investment directions and the, uh, um, the utilization of, of our assets. Um, so I um, set the direction as to uh, uh, where we're going to invest, where we're going to go to market and what we're going to prioritize.
4: And so it sounds like you would have been pretty involved in these two recent announcements of acquisitions, both with Stoller and Simborg. Can you kind of walk us through what drew Corteva to these companies?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to be able to do that, uh, let me take a, a step back and kind of talk a little bit about biologicals at a at a high level. Um you know, the the way biologicals are defined is that those are um, products of natural origin that have not been modified. So if you look, you can find them in nature um, and really utilizing their their benefits. And those benefits can be broad ranging. Um, you know, we we think uh, obviously about uh, uh, biocontrol. So um, bioinsecticides are probably some of the most uh, uh, common products to to control um insect pests but there's um biofungicides and you know some uh, uh here and there a few solutions are appearing in the in the space of um bioherbicides um but there's also a whole different world in in biologicals um that really look at addressing um the stresses that uh uh plants face um during the production cycle and that can come from, um, excess of water, lack of water, um, extreme heat or cold, um, at the wrong time. There's a broad range of, uh, of stressors. Uh, lack of nutrition is also a, a, a big one, obviously. And those things have been evolving, um, and with climate change, with regulation, uh, also with the the cost of fertilizer and in nutrients, um, it's been you know it's made managing that equation and that balance uh, more difficult for farmers. Uh, but this is not something that is easy to address when um, because you're looking really at um, addressing a crop production system. You're really trying to um, manage. Um, multiple stressors that are um, pushing the the crop in various directions. And so to do that, you need very diverse uh, type of technologies and very diverse type of expertise and knowledge. And so Corteva has great competencies in plant genetic germplasm, in creating uh, new traits to be incorporated, um, in uh, optimizing organisms and, and, and microbes. Uh, but when we looked um what we needed to really be able to make a difference for farmers around the world, around addressing those uh, um, abiotic stresses, um, we, we had some gaps. We had some gaps in, in technologies um, and in competencies. And so a company like Stoller uh, brings a wealth of talent and knowledge around um, the plant hormones the plant physiology, what happens in a plant at different stages, uh, which is an expertise that we don't have to the same extent and not with the same focus that, that they do. Um, and they have the products that go with that knowledge. And then you take a company like Simborg, um, and they've been really extremely creative um, in finding novel technologies in microbes um, that have very beneficial effects for the plants. Uh, product like like Blue N or Nutricia and you know, fixing nitrogen from the air and feeding it to the plant on demand when the plant actually needs it, and offsetting the gaps in in nutrition. And so they all all three companies bring something different, and and we saw the opportunity through those acquisitions to bring products. That are very complementary, but more importantly or as importantly, people, knowledge and competencies that really fit each other's gaps. And so that's when we saw that and that picture came, uh, clear is, is when we decided that, uh, you know, this was the right combination of, of expertise and strength coming from all three, uh, that would really help us create new solutions and answer those questions in a very novel way for farmers. And so that's that's how we got there.
4: And you touched a little bit on there on what the actual industry of biological is, what those products are. With these new acquisitions and filling those niches in Corteva, is that going to make it to where y'all can compete with this really quickly growing sector of biologicals are there more niches that need to be filled with in Corteva?
0: Mm-hmm. so you know bi- biologicals covers a very broad range of of technology um, so you're, you're looking at more than 20 different type of of technologies so some are microbes uh, whether they're different types of bacteria or or fungi um, but you know, viruses, pheromones, plant extracts, um, uh, seaweed extracts. So there's a whole range of, of technologies that uh, uh, that fit in in the segment. So those acquisitions um, will uh, enable us to be extremely competitive in the space of bio nutrition. So really making more nutrients available to the plant. Um in the space of uh, uh, biostimulants uh, supporting metabolic processes inside the plant and managing stresses inside the plant. Um, that's a platform that that between the competency of the three uh, companies, we're going to be best in best in class in that space. We're also building uh, our competencies in uh, biocontrol. So um, that's a space that is gonna take a bit more time, uh, finding the right technologies, um, also discovering the right technologies on, on our end. Um, so this is still something that um, we, we have to um, expand in terms of the technologies we have, the products and the internal competencies. Uh, but out of the gate, Um, Those two acquisitions plus what we've been doing, when you combine all three, um, uh, Corteva will be on the podium among the top three uh, largest biological companies in the world, and it's going to grow and expand from from here.
4: Awesome. And adding these technologies, is that diversifying your consumer and customer base, or is it offering more to your current customers? Which is it more focused on?
0: It's really both. So it starts with um, acquiring new customers because um, there's uh, already an established uh, group of growers that are very comfortable with the use of of biological products. Uh, And we're going to have more tools for them. um, And and those are growers we probably haven't worked very much with um, because we haven't had – the strength in this space that they were looking for. And so it will enable us to to talk and work with them and and show them new technology. Uh, The other thing that is tremendously exciting is getting growers that are thinking in a purely conventional approach to production um, and to start getting them to consider biologicals and uh, adjusting and evolving their production practices to include the biologicals in in what they do. Um and so there is a there is a great complementarity uh when you think about optimizing your germ plasm and your seed and then being able to uh provide the stimulants and the nutrition that is exactly what that plant needs at the exact time that it needs it. Uh, and that's you know really providing a different type of solution to farmers that are already working with us very closely.
4: Talk about altering the mindset of some of those farmers that work on a more conventional side. How hard has it been to getting them to embrace the biologicals and these new techniques? Um,
0: it's not hard at all if you approach it from um, a science and data standpoint. What, what farmers as a whole hate is somebody work, walking on the farm and promising them a seven percent yield improvement, uh, regardless of what happens, regardless of the field, regardless of the crop, regardless of everything? Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know this is they know that's not real, but if you take the time to actually characterize your product, understand what they do, when they do it, how they do it. you share the information. And then you show it in the field, no different than what we do to characterize uh a, a corn hybrid, uh, and then we put it side by side with the other corn hybrids on the farmers' uh uh field and and we show the result and we show the difference, then the adoption actually is is you know pretty easy because if we know that we've picked technologies that work and we know under what conditions they are going to deliver and under what conditions you should not use them because they are not going to be beneficial, then, you know, they'll see the results very consistently. And and then the adoption is not difficult. It's not about, you know, that there is a, a, a rejection of using biologicals. I've never met a farmer that, you know, automatically says, I'm not interested in biologicals. What I hear is, I'm not interested in technologies that are not proven and that don't deliver consistent results. And so as long as we approach it from that standpoint and we validate and we do our homework and we don't use the farmers as testing grounds um, to fine-tune our technologies, um, that's not what their job is, that's our job, um, then, you know, we we have a very credible um, technology and story to bring them. Right.
4: And for the – Growers and the farmers that are listening to this and want to get more involved and want to learn more about this technology. How can they go about doing that?
0: So we, uh, work very closely with, you know, the, the distribution and, in, in retail across, uh, uh, across the U.S. And, and that's really where, you know, the first, uh, the first conversation can happen. We, we train and educate, uh, uh, the, the sales reps and the agronomists in, in all those, uh, distribution networks so that they, and understand the products, and, um, you know, that's where they can identify the needs and, and see where the fit is. And then they can bring our experts and our agronomists in the conversation, um, to make sure that, uh, you know, again, the right product is positioned in the right environment, uh, which is absolutely critical, um, uh, to, to demonstrate the value of, of biologicals because they're very specific. Uh, and if you put them in the right, wrong place or, um, the, you know, the product is supposed to address a specific stress and that stress is not present. It's not going to uh, deliver what the farmer is expecting. So that's the, the critical element here is the farmer working closely with their agronomist, their local advisor, uh, and they can bring our experts in and, and finding, you know, the right recommendation for them.
4: Perfect. Well, Frederick, we really appreciate you coming on and talking a little bit about these things for our listeners to learn some more. And we appreciate Corteva.
0: Yep. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Cassidy.
1: I know I say this every week. I feel like Tech Tuesdays are my favorite day. But even then, I learned so much from Market Mondays. Maybe I just enjoy doing this as a whole, though, Amy.
2: Maybe you do, Tanner. It's that's nice. How nice of you to say
1: that. I didn't say. Let's see. How can I say this nicely? Well, as my mother would advise, you just don't say anything at all. <laughs> that's true.
2: If you don't have anything nice to say, you just be quiet.
1: Oh, listeners, you know we're only kidding, but we appreciate you tuning in, and we've got two more shows this week, so check us out. But for today, what do you say, Delaney? Should we let the listeners go?
2: Let's let them go.